This week's Property Matters on Dublin South FM, the show that brings global trends to an Irish audience. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or email the show at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Your host for today is myself, Carol Tallon. Due to ongoing COVID-19 restrictions, we are still recording remotely, so apologies for any poor sound quality that we might experience. And um, So first up, I'm delighted to be joined on the line by John Fogarty, regional owner of Remax Ireland. John, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Carl. And, uh, uh, I, I'm delighted. And I, I understand uh, Remax currently has, uh, or you're operating in 12 locations around Ireland. So yeah. for, first of all, you might just give us an overview of what parts of the country now is Remax operating. Well, we, we're in the, in all the main centres. So um, Galway, Limerick, Waterford, um, a couple of locations in Dublin and North Kildare and at Lone as well. So, and... Uh, Carla. Very good. Okay, well, we have, of course, um, spoken with uh, Lorraine Mulligan previously on the show, and she's given us great insights into the Kildare and West Dublin market. So uh, really, in terms of you, you're well positioned to have a good perspective on what's been happening in the marketplace. Yeah. So what has been your experience um, or the experience really of the Remax agents right across the country over the past three months? Well, I suppose the first thing, um, Carol, is is that the last three months, the main thing was that uh, everybody had to, first of all, I suppose, look after themselves, look after their families, um, make sure their customers were keeping informed as to as to what was happening and that everybody was looking after their staff. So I suppose that, that was the, the, the main focus of any office that we had to start with. The, and they were the main points that we would have discussed over the first few weeks uh, so as you know, um, viewings uh, completely stopped because we were we weren't um, allowed to viewing. So the viewings viewings had, for the most part, stopped. Um, most of our offices were already using uh, virtual tours, so clients were able to still view virtually. But but very very few sales would have actually taken place. Uh, thankfully, um, a huge amount of sales that had been sale agreed closed out, and people signed contracts and carried on. They may have. Um, in the initial week or two, maybe got a little bit worried, but as, as time went on and had, had strong discussions with our agents and um, a, a huge majority, vast majority, Carl, of sales actually uh, went through. We had two fully start to finish virtual sales, which we, we we'd had our first virtual tours in 2007, believe it or not. Right. Um, back that far. And then yeah. with later technology in the last four or five years, um, you know, uh, it's it's come on leaps and bounds. But we, we can now actually do uh, virtual tours where we can actually share the screen with the client and do tours. But two, one property in Limerick and one property in Dunmore East in Waterford were actually sold from start to finish with neither client viewing. But I must stress one was a holiday home and one right. was one was part of an investment portfolio. So it's, you know, it's not fair to say I wouldn't like to mislead anyone thinking that virtual tours are what people are going to buy by virtual tours. And I, you know, I would say that most people buying the principal residence will be buying it and they will want to view it. Um, you know, that's my that's my own personal view. So look at everybody, everybody, um, 
everybody wanted to get in touch with all their customers and obviously any fears that any people had and um, just discuss the market. And then from there on in, Carl, just make sure that um, they were getting prepared for when we're, when we're back next Monday. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I, I'm actually, I'm delighted to hear about the sales that did go through um, entirely digitally because, you know, it's something that we've discussed, not just in the context of COVID-19, but, you know, we've known through PropTech Ireland that actually the, the process of taking the property transaction online, you know, the technology has existed now for a while. And in fact, you know, we've had the technology piece together, but there there have been more holistic systems introduced over the past year or two that we know the process can be done digitally end to end. And really the missing component there was um, the shift in culture for people. And by the way, I, I think that you've really well articulated that, you know, we know that in the main home buyers still want to walk in they want to walk inside the building they want to look at it they want to stand outside the building you know look at the neighboring areas and we know that um investors are buying online we've seen that through the online auction houses uh, the multi-lot auctions that have been happening for the last number of years but the the shift hasn't changed for home buyers yet and maybe this will 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 nudge us more towards that but we're still at a stage where we do need viewings for home buyers, particularly for the secondhand market. Um, so I think that's a really interesting experience that you've had there. In terms of technology, um, are you are you able to capture and deal with, say, virtual valuations of secondhand properties over the last few months? From just from uh, for the various platforms with the DAFT um, comparison tool, various tools that are available. Is that what you're talking about? Or well, in- have you gotten or have you or your agents been getting many inquiries, say, from from uh, property owners who are thinking of selling as mm. the market reopens? Uh, absolutely, Carl. Um, absolutely. We continued. Uh, we continued our own um, marketing uh over the period so we didn't we didn't stop with uh, with our various digital marketing um our website our inquiries um wouldn't be far away from where they were last year the hits are actually up but then i suppose that's because a lot of people are uh sitting at home for the last few months but definitely the amount of inquiries um it's it's incredible the amount of people that are uh considering going on the market at the moment um and that's right across the board with second hand properties and secondly buyers um have been getting because we have a mortgage division as well and and buyers have been getting their ducks in a row uh, right throughout the last nine weeks getting all their bits and pieces in order so that they're ready to hit the ground running um when when this all you know when we get back to some form of normal um i think carly the important thing to remember here is you know my feeling is this this happened nine weeks ago the minute it happened the government stepped in immediately gave 350 euros to everybody and uh, employers were given 75 percent grants towards towards uh their employees wages so straight away people were able to call their banks and get a six-month moratorium so the, the facts are that actually a lot of savings accounts have increased rather than decreased through this period. And that's, yeah. that's not something I'm saying like, this is just, these are, these are the facts. So the people who are going to go back to, a lot of people are coming back to work over the next while. Um, the hospitality industry has been hit, but in, in certain areas, in a lot of areas where we operate, um, a lot of the employees 
may not necessarily have been been purchasing properties this year anyway. You know, they would have been a lot of them would have been in the rental market. So that's that's what I think is quite interesting about this. That um, when when everybody gets back and gets back to their jobs, the banks as well, the letters of offer that have been out there. Um, if the letter of offer hasn't expired, the banks aren't asking for revaluations. So if somebody got loan approval um, right nine weeks ago, ten weeks ago, and once they're still in employment, um, that valuation still stands, you know, which is a fairly strong statement. Yeah, and actually that's something that there's been a lot of commentary about at the moment. Like, what's the situation, say, for people who have been furloughed, albeit temporarily, um, so they have their you know, where they actually have their approval in principle, um, but they are temporarily furloughed. What kind of approach are the banks taking? Well, well, obviously, they have to, to um, err on the cautious side, Carl, because um, while they're furloughed, they're not in employment. And But the minute they go back, once they're able to produce pay slips to show that they're back in employment and that their company is back and that they're back where they were when they made the original application, so you okay. know, once they can demonstrate that their 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 salary certificate is similar and it's backed up by pay slips, and they're usually they may ask them maybe for for bank statements again, but but probably not. And it's mainly just to to prove that they are now back, um, and their employer is back, and they're back where they were. So okay, that's, and that's a po- that's a that's actually you know a, a positive thing because you know there are people who will fall through the cracks here. So for example, people who had actually sale agreed their their property um, and had actually gone so far as signing contracts, had paid their 10% deposit and then come time for drawdown between that period they had been furloughed. And we know that like we're aware of people who are in that position at the moment and we still don't have clarity on it. So it's a very worrying time. So unfortunately, like all of these things, there will be people who fall through the cracks and we've certainly encouraged anybody in that position to... um, well, I suppose to to seek advice specifically for those yeah. circumstances, because yeah. we know that there's a case by case approach being taken, which is important. And um, in terms of increased uh, increased number of people viewing properties, that tallies very much with the UK experience at the moment, where we see Right Move recorded their busiest ever uh, period over the last number yeah. of weeks. You know, so we know that people are definitely thinking about what comes next, whether they're buyers or sellers or thinking of, you know, making different changes within their life. So we know that now is the time people are researching. But in terms of the the sellers who are contacting you, you know, what are their expectations of the market? Are they expecting a, a rush or are they expecting people will be cautious? Are they, you know, how are they feeling about, uh, say, property prices and valuations? I mean, um, there was one or two banks made statements about drops, property drops. And uh, when you actually delve into it, there isn't any real substance behind it. And there was even a, a statement made yesterday by one one particular bank, and they, they said that they could possibly see anything between 5 and 12%. But, you know, why not 5 and 15 or 4 and 11 or 5 and 7? You know what I mean? So where I would see it at the moment, um, our buyer, our sellers are ringing and obviously they're, they're, they're wondering. So the only thing we can talk about at this moment in time, Carl, is a comparative value uh, pre-COVID. That's, mm-hmm. that's the only, that's all anybody can talk about at this particular moment in time. You can only talk about comparison. You can only talk about uh, transactions that may have happened during COVID. Uh, you can you can have a conversation about them as well, but like I'm very confident that if a property in a particular if a, if a 
pick any housing estate um, and leave Dublin. I'm, I'm not talking about Dublin here now. I'm really talking about outside Dublin, um, Carol, because there was a little bit of a softening in Dublin over the last two years anyway. So mm-hmm. I suppose just to be bear that in mind. So I'm just talking about the provincial towns and um, cities like Waterford, Limerick. And uh, the situation is there. You know, there's there's nothing to indicate that that um, clients aren't going to get mortgage approval when they get back. New 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 first time buyers are actually have saved more money over the last nine weeks. It's actually helped them to save, and um, interest rates have never been as low. Mm-hmm. I mean, interest rates have never been as low, which is incredible. So, and and the other thing is that if somebody has been renting all along, I think the fact that um, people have been locked down for the last nine weeks, home ownership is something. I mean food in your fridge and a roof over your head were the two most important things. And I think that's something that uh, is going to resonate with everybody, whatever level you're at. So I, you know, I don't see any drop at this moment in time and we've no evidence of that. I can only tell you that properties that are being put up on the net at the moment, new properties and properties that were put up just before lockdown or maybe actually had been visited before lockdown and were put up during lockdown that there is, a list of people ready to go and view these properties. Okay, and that that's a really positive thing. Um, now, obviously, while you're the regional owner of Remax Ireland, you yourself are based and operate in the Waterford market. Yeah, that's right. So, so locally, um, well, I suppose really, how was the Waterford market faring in early 2020? The Waterford market was really, really strong in early 20, um, up to a certain level. Uh, and that level is up to say max six hundred thousand. When you're when you're going above that in Waterford, for the last number of months, things were a little bit slower. You hadn't mm-hmm. as many buyers as we would have had say um, this time last year. But anything up to that, the market was moving along. Um, when stock was priced correctly, um, the market was fine at okay. every at every level. Okay, and and again, that's that's a positive thing to hear in terms of you just hope that the demand that was there previously was from buyers whose jobs were not impacted over the past three months, or you know whose positions were not lost beyond a place that they can be repaired now over the coming months. Because obviously we're recording this prior to the weekend, but by the time this show airs. Actually, your offices will all be open again. We will be after Monday the 8th. Mm. So can you talk to me about the new measures that your members have put in place to safely restart viewings? Okay, yeah, just to, it'll be very interesting, actually, Carol, just as you say, but just to say our diaries um, are filling up for next week, whether that's virtually, with virtual mm-hmm. viewings or with, with actual physical viewings. So that's very positive, right across the board, right across the country, that's the situation. Um, the measures that are taken in place, obviously, um, let, let's assume it's a it's a viewing, an actual viewing. Uh, so the, the viewing is going to take place. Prior to the viewing, um, obviously, you're going to have to qualify the client that nobody in their household has any symptoms um, or, you know, that they, they qualify under, under that. And then if, obviously, under no circumstances can they view um, if there's any question about that. The important thing then is staying two metres apart and provide masks and disposable gloves at every appointment. That's not something that has to be done, but I think it's good practice. Um, mm-hmm. Ensure the homeowners stay outside the house. You know, that's just a, a very simple thing. Only only two people per, per family um, to do a viewing and nobody under 16. Uh, obviously, no open houses, um, you you know, wear gloves and masks throughout, don't touch any surfaces. Um, 
And then for the, the clients themselves, so we're asking them to stay outside the houses, leave doors open and lights on. Um, and again, uh, keep two distance away, uh, two, two meters away and um, wear a mask. There's not going to be any open houses, but, but Carl, uh, in certain cities and towns, open houses weren't a big thing. Um, yeah. Dublin huge yeah, and and quite a bit in Galway but it wasn't it wasn't a, we would have always viewed by appointment in Waterford that was just our vendors liked that and our customers liked it you know that's just the way it was it, it, it was always just by appointment slots maybe every 10 minutes or every 15 minutes um that's just the way it was so um yeah. if so obviously um when somebody inquires now you're going to encourage um a virtual viewing uh, ideally, so you you have your VR tour, and you will actually share the screen with them and do the full viewing with them. Um, if if some houses may not have a VR tour, sometimes vendors and um, Carl don't like VR tours for various reasons. Um, so in that case, maybe it might be a walkthrough video that you might do with somebody. So it could be live FaceTime or you know some other videos that are there. Um, that, that could be used for that. So that's the way it's going to be. But I, I really do think you are going to have the physical viewings and we just have to be absolutely so careful uh, to follow that strict criteria that I've just gone through there, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And so is it fair to say that really uh, the, the first view, like most people when they're buying a property will do more than one viewing anyway. So is it fair to say that maybe the first viewings will still take place uh, remotely? Well, and uh, it's really only when you get to the point of being particularly interested in the property that you would go to a, a, a physical viewing. Carol, what's very, very interesting here, we've been using VR technology for the last number of years. And mm -hmm. that's what's happened. Exactly what yeah. you just said there. People are viewing. And what's beautiful is that if you have a couple and uh, one is working in Dublin and one happens to be working in Galway, they're moving to Waterford, one person can view and then the other person can view remotely and they can chat about it. And then we can get involved in the viewing on the screen. And it's just it's just incredible. So that has been going on with a number of agents who were using VR technology. But now, um, just because COVID has come, everybody has to embrace this. So it's going to be a fabulous experience. It's a fabulous experience for a buyer that can now do a proper viewing of a property and not rely on badly taken photographs. You know? Yeah. So it's really yeah. leaps and bounds. It's it's really a buyer's time now. It's just fabulous. The, the whole experience of buying a home, in my opinion, is just going to go to a whole new level, you know? Yeah, and look, I, I think PropTech is a huge driver of that. So it's great to hear you and your members being so positive and, and as early adopters of this. So best of luck um, to yourselves down in Waterford, but also to all of your members across the country now as we start into reopening and opening up for viewings. And my thanks again to John Fogarty, regional owner of Remax Ireland, for joining us. We need to take a quick break now. Stay tuned. 93.9 Dublin South FM. And welcome back to Prop Matters on Dublin South FM with myself, Carol Tallon. You can contact us on Twitter at iProperty Radio or by email at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. I'm delighted to be joined over the phone now by Gary MacDonald, founder of Limitless Insight. Gary, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us today. Yes, Carl. Thanks very much for having um, us. Pleasure. Delighted. Uh, Gary, I want to, uh, we really want to take a look at retail, particularly for the, the week that's in it uh, with most retailers reopening today, albeit under conditions maybe that we wouldn't be familiar with. So let's just start by maybe introducing Limitless Insight to member of, members of our audience maybe that aren't familiar. Okay, so Limitless Insight is a location intelligence platform that combines 
location data with uh, store uh, loyalty, EPOS and CRM data and social data to give uh, retailers a view of their customers as they are live in the physical building. Okay, how, how did you come to be involved in that? Well, I suppose it was a, a natural progression. I had spent 10 years with Musgraves as their development director in the north of Ireland. And after doing everything corporate for 10 years, I decided to go out and open up a Super Value franchise. Uh, and I turned that from a, a small greenfield site into a 10 million plus turnover and a large retail park. So I done both the retail and the property side of the business. And the one big thing that, that I couldn't grasp was the fact that we had so much data on the customer and I knew every customer by name, but I couldn't connect the dots. Uh, so I decided to form the Limitless platform, which creates, I suppose, a full end-to-end marketing platform that connects the customer with purchases. Okay, and Gary, when were you involved? Um, you know, around when was this? Uh, I suppose I... I started with Musgraves when they set up their operation in Northern Ireland. So I was one of the first four founding members in Northern Ireland in 1996. And Musgraves were on a continued period of growth. And I stayed with them until 2006. And thankfully, in those days, we weren't pigeonholed. So we learned almost every asset of the business Mm -hmm. and met with a considerable amount of uh, people within the retail space in the island of Ireland. And then in 2006, I had an opportunity to open up a super value in my own hometown. Uh, And thankfully, we built that from a a greenfield site with no turnover to a site that was turning almost 200,000 sterling a week and developed about probably 70,000 square feet of other additional retail units. So uh, was pulling both uh, retail and my architectural background together. So in and around those 20 years. Okay, so that that's a huge jump from kind of a retail taking the architectural side. But uh, really what I'm, what I'm interested there is that you understood the value of data possibly before the value of data was being recognised. Yes, I, I was always very technical uh, and I was always interested, again, mostly in spreadsheets and sales analysis on customer data, on EPOS data. And the thing for me is that I spent maybe two days a week going through the actual uh, data and couldn't make sense of it and couldn't manage last year and this year and this week and last week. And I thought there had to be a better way of doing that. So initially, uh, we started with a trial with Tesco's and Clare Hall, and it was around location data. And we tried another vendor, a company called Purple Wi-Fi, and we realized that all of the things it promised to do, it didn't actually do. So with that in mind, we decided to go off and do our own platform that was geared more towards retail and the property sector in general. Okay, so you're coming at this from really a unite a unique blend of experience, having not just been involved on the retail side, but also in terms of the development, having served as the anchor tenant for the for the development, and then trying to, I suppose, apply those insights because that must be something then that's a point of frustration when you see this data being collected but the insights aren't being brought from it. They're not being actioned. 
You know, is that no, because we, we've gotten better across the, the real estate sector. We've certainly gotten better over understanding that data is important and trying to apply it. But we're definitely not using it uh, in an optimum way. And part of that, I think, maybe comes from uh, once the once the power and the potential of data was recognized, then immediately so too were all the the fears of the responsibility of holding data and how it can be used and uh, with GDPR legislation coming in, it was brought in in quite, um, there was an element of fear mongering around it that made people feel like suddenly data was something they didn't know how to manage. Yeah, I think even like when we were on the road talking to almost retailer, every retailer in Ireland, I think the biggest problem is that huge amounts of data mm. and they couldn't get the insights out of the data. So no matter who we went in to talk to with a Microsoft Cube or a Power BI tool, they, they couldn't actually access their own data. And again, most systems were either legacy systems, and I'll use the word disparate or even desperate <laughs> okay. in a lot of examples. So the ability to bring all of those data sources into one true area, and then with the background knowledge, giving the customer the insight, because everyone's got data and actually we can nearly say people are drowning in their own data, mm -hmm. but to bring that into a platform in a GDPR compliant manner with the ability to opt in and opt out and everything's permissions based, it means that we do it in the correct manner. And to be honest with you, we're only interested in the insights and areas that will actually help a customer grow their business or whatever their pain point is, because unless we add value, then we're not obviously helping the retailer and our people within the property sector at yeah. the moment. Well, you're working with some very significant brands. You know, I see Coca-Cola, Tesco, uh, Dunn's, Cara Pharmacies. So can you maybe just even isolate one sector and maybe pull out what the data or the likely data insights, just to give us an example? Because again, the term data covers so much. You know, what are the likely insights that a retailer would need to know to be able to action that to improve the business performance? Well, well, I think in retail in general, what we're able to do is, I mean, most retailers have Meraki or, or Cisco kit within their retail store, and it's been used mainly for orders, as in the case with, with Dunn stores, as an example. And what we were able to do is we were able to track and trace almost every customer within a trial store with them. And we were able to prove that we could actually move people from the basement and, for example, St. Stephen's Green up to the first floor where they just opened a new cafe or restaurant. And the big thing for us is that when we incentivize the behavior and we encourage people to log in, we almost ended up with 50% of the customer base logged into the in-store Wi-Fi. And with that in mind, we started to build the profile so we could link gender, age bracket, or air code so we could find out where the customer was coming in from. And this gave us particular insights into different stores so we could actually see where their audience was coming in from. The big thing, because we weren't app-based, meant that we had probably an 85% penetration level because everyone that carries a phone and has their green button on, even as an anonymous user, lets the system know where you are in store. So for travel paths, heat maps, and that's probably how we engage with Coca-Cola for product placement. But it meant then that we actually had a full view of the customer and would be broadly similar 
to the level of analytics you get on Google and Amazon combined. So standard figures like dwell time, number of visitors, uh, dormancy, particularly where, where we hadn't seen a customer in two to three weeks, we get reach out and re-engage. And then we actually built a full recommendation engine on the back of the EPOS data that allowed us to send personal relevant offers to customers in store. And again, the redemption rates were probably between probably over 50%. And again, in comparison to paper advertising and marketing, we could track and trace every engagement. And we could also target different audiences, whether it was through social. But the big difference is we can actually track from digital to physical. Okay. Uh, I, 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 to, see, that's, that's fascinating for the trends that we were seeing in retail um, over the last number of years uh, and the stimulus needed to, to support um, traditional retail. But in terms of, you know, what we're seeing over the past three months and the, the new uh, traditional trading environment for bricks and mortar retail now post COVID-19, you know, how, how can those solutions be applied now? Well, I think we have been working with a number of our retailers and even property guys at the moment. And if you take a physical building at the moment, we can tell all of your customer densities from a total building point of view. We can do it at floor level, we can do it at unit level, or we can do it at concession level. We can also then use the same system for queue management. So if you're a member or a VIP user, we can use it for queue management and normal, obviously, shoppers as well. So we can tell how many people are in the building. We can text an alert to let you know that you're next in the queue. We can also show every building, very similar to Google Analytics, in almost near real time with the number of people in the area. And because we have developed the system, we can actually do that right down in the geofence. So you can actually check and see if the health and beauty, for example, in the likes of Brian Thomas is busier than the fashion. So the, the functionality of the platform remains the same. And what we're doing is moving it towards COVID use cases. So social distancing, updated health messaging, uh, probably near real-time solution in terms of how many people are physically in the store. And the big difference is that it's not using mobile technology. So number one, the information on the customer remains with the business. And number two, everyone knows that GPS doesn't work inside a physical building. So leveraging your existing infrastructure allows you to take control of what's happening inside your own buildings. Okay, that's... I mean, has technology, is, is technology being used like that uh, for traditional retail? You know, are, are, are there any examples of that um, at the moment or are we really at the point where this is, uh, this is transformational stuff that we need retailers to embrace? You know, are we seeing this in the marketplace at the moment? Well, I think from our perspective, the majority of retailers have the existing hardware and they're not leveraging probably even the money that they've spent on the hardware. So the ability to increase the effective use of it is very beneficial. And a lot of them are still afraid of GDPR compliance, even though we are very compliant. So a lot of guys have the technology that definitively have the pain point and we can solve that for them. But adoption levels within retail in Ireland are, are slower. Uh, and we're, we're finding 
that it's a solution that we have that we can roll into any physical retail environment. And, and even recently, for the likes of smaller stores, we've also done food and beverage and uh, small stores like Centra, where we can actually predict presence, which is the same thing. So it'll give us the total numbers without the ability to do it as a geofence. So our solution can roll into any particular size. And we're obviously also looking at the office space but we're focusing today on retail. Yeah, of course. And look, again, this is just something that it's a solution that's required. I, I know you mentioned there that adoption rates have been slow, but are you starting to see in terms of retailers preparing to reopen this week? Are you starting to see maybe a shift focus or a shift priority there? I, I don't think at the moment, I think at the minute, a lot of retailers are thinking physically of how they open their stores. So it's about sanitation, cleanliness and perception for the customer that it's safe. I would hope as time goes on that they realize that this is a product where they already have the hardware and they can leverage it. So I think the first phase would be for retailers to open and for their staff and their customers to feel safe. I think that's the first wave and particularly with non-essential retail. So, you know, at the moment, the biggest issue with food retail is they've seen a spike of about 70% in goods and, and orders. So trying to keep the stocks full, uh, trying to keep customers happy will be their main concern. But I definitely think over the next couple of months, a lot of retailers will be looking for our solution. Yeah, okay. And it's, it seems inevitable, um, certainly, again, the way that much of the COVID-19 responses, escalating trends that were already in place, you know, this seems like a, a quick way to get to where we were heading. Um, you might just share your website details there, Gary. Uh, it's www.limitlessinsight.com and that's without the S. So it's Limitless Insight. Perfect. Okay, Gary, thank you so much. I understand that your development team are likely to be very busy over the coming weeks and months supporting retail. Um, and, and again, it will be interesting to see what adoption rates, you know, if there's a take up on adoption rates and not on that, but, you know, if if these new tech solutions provided, you know, if they're going to be sticky in terms of changing traditional retail which is probably arguably what needs to happen so again uh, the coming months will tell a lot for now we leave it there that was gary mcdonald founder of limitless insight we need to take another quick break and we'll be back shortly stay tuned 93.9 dublin south fm and welcome back to property matters on dublin south fm with myself carol tallon we are of course still recording from home as the radio station operates remotely in full compliance with government guidelines I'm now joined over the phone by Connor Brady, co-founder and CEO of Captate. Connor, thank you for joining us today. Hi, Carl. How are you? Good, thank you. Um, so, Connor, I had the—I I suppose I'm in the fortunate position that I've been familiar with Captate um, over the last number of years because your business was one of the early entrants into three um, uh, D or virtual uh, property tours and showcasing unbuilt apartments. So, you might just talk to our audience maybe who aren't familiar just about Captate. Sure Carl um, so yeah like like you said we've been around for a while um, uh, at Captate so we take a property design and transform them into digital vertical tours so um, I know you've had on the show people talking about Matterport 
uh, over the last while. So we we like to call it Matterport, but for unbuilt property. So uh, we 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 use this kind of it's like a a three D render virtual tour. So not use like Matterport uses. Uh, a real space we use a place that hasn't been built yet with 3d rendering technology and we can we're, we can do anything from a shell office you know a shell office space to kind of make it into a a staged virtual tour and then all the way to you know pre-development projects um so it's 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 basically a way and and it has become particularly relevant now with the government guidelines uh and so on um yeah and yeah i would just i just i just think it's it's a new way of reducing marketing costs and shortening those sales cycles where you know like we see now we've seen since covid we've seen a few inquiries come in about uh about developments that don't want to do any showrooms at all, uh, that just want to do everything digitally. So that's that's a way for them to reduce costs. Yeah, that's uh, it. it's really interesting to hear you put in those terms because you know obviously we talk about um, enhancing the the buyer experience, which shortens the sales cycle, and that's something we're familiar with. But I think maybe for um, some developers and certainly for estate agents in the business, they would consider this technology to be pricey. They don't think of it as something that would reduce marketing costs. Yeah, like so, we're working on a project in uh, outside Toronto at the moment in, in Canada, um, and they're going to have no physical showrooms, and you know they're obviously. They have quite, uh, you know, a developed omni-channel digital strategy. So they're, you know, putting a lot of emphasis on, you know, social media and so on. And and they started that early. They started gaining traction. They started seeing from an early stage, you know, who's interested in the project, should this go ahead and so on. And, you know, they can show that to their to the people they're drawing drawing down uh, loans from as well, you know, the interest that they're getting. And we're creating a whole uh, virtual development uh, that people can go in and see and get excited about and, you know, put down a deposit, which is which is what they want. So it's, it's all part of a, a kind of a wider digital marketing strategy that you're going to see going forward. Like... We, I'll be honest. We it took us a good while for people to kind of get what we were doing, and um, you know they thought of it as an extra cost. Yeah. But I would say that you can actually reduce costs. Like this, this company, like we will be, we will be, we will be doing a kind of a case study with them. And I, I if anybody wants, I can send it on to them uh, over the weeks. Like just about how they will reduce that cost on, you know, a physical, you know, showroom, sales office and so on. Whereas, you know, a lot of people are seeing now that that stuff is not that necessary. Obviously, you will have a sales team. Yeah. But we're talking about at the kind of lead, you know, lead generation, lead, um, uh, um, yeah, when you're, when you, you know, that whole sales process, you're kind of funneling people into who's going to buy and not, right? So, um, yeah, there's a lot of time that can be saved. And those, those actual expenses of where you're fitting out a whole unit, you're buying property, you got, 
you know, that's that's expensive. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. And actually, the, the show house is always the uh, part of the priciest element of um, the marketing strategy for a new development. Uh, yeah. But but this brings up a few interesting things because the scheme in Toronto, had they had the developers there decided to go down this route uh, prior to COVID-19 or was this in response to restrictions over the past few months? Yeah, it, it was kind of... It was kind of um, a financial decision over anything else. So, yeah, it was in response to COVID as it had become obvious kind of from mid-March that uh, it wasn't going to be as easy as as they had predicted, say, about a year ago. So, yeah, yeah it was. And they kind of looked at it and said, um, you know, this might be just the way to go. And it's, it is a, a bit experimental, but they're 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 prepared to kind of, you know, take this new new way of doing it. And I, I think it's like for me personally, I said to them, you know, I just want to be our partners on this because this is the way I believe it's going to be. Yeah. Um, and they're, it's it's a very cutting edge project. You know, they have um, stuff like uh, autonomous vehicles. So you basically you, if you buy an apartment, you have access to one of the 12 cars in the garage that you can you can use as you want and this this kind of stuff so it's it's a it's a very it's a very interesting you know way of doing things and i th- i think that's going to be we're going to see more and more of that in the future yeah look i i agree with you on that point i do think that um there's an element of that's the direction things were moving in anyway and now we know that uh, COVID-19 response innovation has really just um, speeded the whole process. Yeah. But but there is but there is still something and it's something that has been a bit of a recurring theme on the show here. And that is, you know, we know that all the technology exists end to end for an entire property transaction with the possible exception of kind of some really lax conveyancing, uh, e-conveyancing procedures. But right. but the, the system is in place there to uh, showcase properties to research them to carry out due diligence to view them um, and you know theoretically to survey them although I, I don't think people would rely on that um, in the foreseeable future but the, the difficulty is that buyers themselves still have a little bit of a psychological hang-up they want to see it and you know one of the exceptions to not physically seeing the home before you buy it you know apart from investors you know yes investors are buying online sight unseen and that's a different kettle of fish but with home buyers you know the only exception really were new homes and generally how people compensated for that was by walking around the showroom by sitting on the show furniture and by you know stroking the 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 cushions on the sofa and things like that so you know because as, as a species we're quite tactile yeah. so you know psychologically i'm really interested to hear how this experiment goes or how this trial project goes because i think we are we do need to see um, will the next generation of buyers be so at home using technology and buying products virtually? Yeah. Because uh, there was definitely a time 20 years ago, people didn't think that, pe- that um, furniture could be sold online and could be chosen online. And of course, now we know it can. So yeah. do you- they're, they're even doing dating online. <laughs> 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 but obviously it's not the same as the real thing, but but it's it's kind of... It's a different. It's a. It is to a certain stage, right? Where you're kind yeah. of um, evaluating the, you know, the, you know, say for example, you're buying a home, and there's yeah. 
there's 20 developments that could be on your radar. Do you want to actually physically go to the showrooms of 20 of them? No. Um, uh, so we're, you know, part of the digital marketing, right? It's a certain step certain plays a certain part in that whole process right mm-hmm. buying process we are kind of narrowing it down and you know even you know some developments will still have showrooms because you know they'll be selling to a certain demographic and then there'll be younger buyers who don't see the point and uh, you know it's 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 not a physic it's not what they're physically buying anyway right yeah that's a good point yeah yeah, obviously, if you're buying a secondhand home, it's different, right? And then you have Motherport coming in and so on. And that's that's more like top of the funnel, if you know what I mean. But, where, you know, where we are, people are kind of trying to figure out what's this project about. And, and they're kind of trying to understand the brand of the developer too, right? So, um, you know, this kind of trust, um, the trust in the project, do they believe in it? They can see it, you know, on social media. They can see a lot of people interacting with it. And that's that's very strong for the younger generation, as you know, you know yourself, Carol. Oh, it is. And look, in terms of brand, I think that that's something that is maybe being talked about more over the past decade. But I do think it's something that um, good developers were inherently doing uh, decades ago. I mean, we sure, still sure. we still talk about the the best built homes in Dublin that were built yeah. in in the fifties and sixties, and, and we reference the builder. So I, I think that branding was a thing. It's it's just. Maybe, you know, it's come to the fore more in the past decade, but I think any of the good developers, they knew how to how to really champion their brand throughout. And it's just something that's gotten stronger. And, and maybe um, it's just something that requires a little bit more effort now in, in the digital age. But yeah. Con- Connor, one of the things I was really interested to hear you're doing, because the work that you're doing, I associate with uh, newly built or, or off plan properties. Yeah. But actually... Um, you mentioned there about virtual staging. Now, we know that staging properties is something that's, you know, yes, it's been done in Ireland over the past decade or two, but it wasn't a big feature of the property market, but it is becoming a much bigger feature. And in fact, we spoke to Natasha Rocket-Divine here a couple of weeks ago, and she talked about the, the property staging service for secondhand properties, which is going to be so important now that um, the secondhand property market is expected to be sluggish post-COVID-19. So we do need to find new ways to to present these properties. But you're proposing a virtual staging of not just sec- empty second-hand properties, but perhaps uh, derelict and run-down properties. Yeah, yeah. And um, this is something that came to me that it was actually it wasn't something we developed ourselves, but something people asked us if we could do it. Um, and one was in relation to a the Brazilian equivalent of um, uh, of DAFT. You know, so they wanted to kind of offer this service where people could, you know, uh, improve. Uh, a home, an apart, usually apartments, you know, that it was old or whatever. So we could come in, make a virtual tour of what it could look like, right? So again, that's a digital marketing thing. Uh, people may or will, if they're going to buy it, will physically want to go there. But at least when they're looking around, they see this nice shiny property. I like to compare it to Airbnb. I, I, <laughs> I used Airbnb back in 2011. And I was just astonished by the way they'd send a photographer there 
uh, to your house and take the photos and all of a sudden your place looks amazing. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's the same yeah. place and people want to rent it because they've seen these photos that look amazing, you know? Yeah. And that's, it's about getting people interested. It's about really, you know, uh, selling, selling a place, right? Um, but property, property has always been, and property sales has always been about um, not selling the property. You're selling the life that goes with it. And that can sometimes sound a little bit manipulative or contrived, but it's not that effectively, not everybody has the same skills of visualization. You know, I, I, I know that from, you know, many years working with property buyers that, you know, some people can walk in and imagine everything that's going to be there. And other people just can't. They just don't have the visualization skills. And I definitely fall into that latter category. Yeah. So from my point of view, I think all of these tools help to really showcase what can be done, yeah. you know, even even down to um, as simple as. You know, we see IKEA now have, have, you know, using the IKEA app, you can pull in furniture into your room and yeah. size it to see what it will look like. And that's that's so helpful. Yeah. So we know that this is the kind of tool that estate agents obviously are opened up this week for the first time in a number of months to to viewings. But we know that the viewings, in-person viewings, are going to remain restricted for the next uh, number of months at least. So at the moment, uh, all viewings must be pre-booked. There can only be a maximum of two people going through the property at any time and no under 16. So in fact, even for showcasing um, showcasing a home, we still are going to be depending on online viewings yeah. initially yeah. for the next couple of months. And as you say, this is a trend that, that's increasing. Yeah. So for um, really, is it cost efficient, say, for um, estate agents who are trying to find a way properties that were introduced to the market, you know, maybe after Christmas or just before Christmas, they've been languishing on the market because they couldn't uh, be shown. These need to be represented from a marketing point of view. I mean, is this a cost is this a cost effective way to represent or to, to remarket a property now? Well, I, I would I would believe so. Like uh, our costs, we usually start at around four hundred and fifty euro for you know we will do the rendering and the fit out of a space, and we'll make it. We'll give to you know we'll be able to present it online so you can embed that directly into your website and people can see what that does. And then we have all kinds of analytics as well as to. You know what? Are, what are the demographic of people looking at it? How long do they stay looking at it? And that kind of stuff as well. So that that's that's really um, that's that's good in the long run, right? But on a short term basis, uh, I would say yes. Um, and like one thing, Carol, just when we're discussing it, is it's not just for residential as well, like. In the States, we're working with um, BTS. I think you've spoken about them before. Yeah. Um, they provide a prop tech te technology for more in the commercial sector, like they do office and retail. And we're working with them on a few pilots. And uh, one of the ones we did was Brookfield. Um, it was a Bro Brookfield-owned property. So we took an office space um, and basically a shell space and fitted it out and made that into a, a virtual tour. So um, people who want to, you know, like, for example, they have two two main personas, right? Two main buyers. It's the, the you know, tech, tech companies or um, a more traditional like accountants, lawyers, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. So 
So for them, those people are coming in and they want to rent a space and they might send them, uh, you know, here's 10, here's 10 places that, that we have. If you're just showing them photos of a big open, you know, barn of a place, uh, an office space, that doesn't mean anything to them. They want to kind of see, all right, how many desks can we put in? You know, where could we put a little food bar? You know, where where uh, where am I going to have my office? And particularly post-COVID, a lot of these, you know, this has kind of changed as well. Like, okay, so desks are going to be have to be two and a half metres apart. We're going to have to get a new, um, uh, you know, uh, way of putting the meeting rooms, the meeting rooms have to be at the front so people aren't passing through the the space and so on. And that's that's actually something we're doing for an Irish company at the moment is a it's some offices down in Park West where we're actually refitting it and showing what a you know a post-COVID office could look like. And that kind of, you know, where people are saying, oh, we're not going back to the office, we don't need an office, that can be a pretty um pretty compelling kind of story where you can show, look, we can we can build an office uh, and it can be a lot safer than what it was. I'm not saying it's 100% safe or whatever, but you can show like these are the things you can do. Yeah. These 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 properties still have value, you know? Yeah. And that's, a, that's something that's going to be particularly necessary for most businesses as they reimagine how they're using their office space at the moment. And I know a lot of the conversation is going towards people uh, leaning towards working from home but in the interim it's going to be a process that's going to involve a bit of both yeah. so the office still needs to function for a, a, a number for a set number of staff so yeah. I, I i think there's no there's there's no offices that won't require any element of uh fit out and re reorganization yeah. to be able to accommodate social distancing at the moment yeah. and look that's just our, our new reality now and um, connor i'm 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 particularly interested to hear how the project in Toronto goes because I think that that would be really a test yeah. of buyers whether they're able to buy uh, sight unseen without touching anything even if it's not uh, the particular uh, the particular house or the particular sofa or the particular uh, kitchen yeah. um, so I think that that would be a really interesting one and not only to find out if it works or if it doesn't work but who does it work for you know what age groups what are the demographics so you know, we might touch base with you again when you have more information and more data about that, because I think that's that's going to be indicative of the trend that we will likely start to see internationally. Um, so definitely, please keep us in touch. Keep in touch and uh, let us know about that. Case, um, sorry, sorry. On the case study, and that I, I yeah. want to actually show how much we've reduced the costs as well. You know, just the actual uh, of versus having a physical. A physical showroom you know so that uh, that's that's something i'm really excited about because we're not saying this is an extra then we're saying that this is something as a way to really you know cut your costs as well which is which is very relevant over the next year or two i'd imagine yeah it's very relevant and it probably isn't intuitive for people who are considering um using technology like this so i think it would be a really interesting one to watch so thank you again mm -hmm. for showcasing that that was connor brady co-founder and ceo of captate um that's it from us today thank you for listening into property matters on dublin south fm the show where property matters get in touch with the show by emailing hello at iproperty radio or on twitter at iproperty radio uh, also our thanks to peter rice on sound and show producer katie talon of hear me roar media we're back at the same time next week for myself, Carol Talon, and all the team here. Stay safe.